Well, we come now to the last of the parables uh, that I will deal with in this uh, particular sermon series. Uh, there are certainly a lot more parables uh, we could deal with. Um, it was indeed uh, Jesus' favorite teaching method to use these short stories, uh, but uh, it'll have to wait another time. And so this morning we come to what's called the parable of the weeds. Among the wheat, it's found in the Gospel of Matthew in the 13th chapter, beginning at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Well, Jesus used yet another illustration that people who lived in that agricultural society would, uh, would appreciate. A landowner sowed good seed in the ground, and then under the cover of night, an enemy came and sowed that field with weeds. Well, it happened then, I suppose it still happens today, that if you want to uh, commit some act of treachery against a neighbor, you know, if, if you want to get him back for something that he might have done to you, then what do you do? You ruin his livelihood. You infest his crop with weeds. You ruin his crop. Well, as the plants grew, the workers discovered that the wheat field was indeed completely infested with weeds, and horrified, they brought the news to the landowner. But his response was surprising. And uh, if you've been with me the last several weeks, uh, you know that we've noted that virtually every parable, every story Jesus tells has some sort of an unexpected shock or surprise or a twist that, uh, that indeed would have been a shock to His original audience. The surprise in this story is the landowner's response to the disturbing news of his workers, because you would think that the landowner, having discovered what has happened, would rant and rave and cry out against the injustice of this act. Instead, all he says is, an enemy has done this, with no further comment. The expectation would be for the landowner to then say to his workers and go out into the field and get rid of every weed that you see. We have to save the crop. But the landowner says, no, let them grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters, separate them with the wheat gathered in barns and the weeds thrown into the fire. Okay, so what does this parable mean? 
this parable actually has been misinterpreted down through the ages, misinterpreted time and again. Jesus' original disciples wanted to know what this, this parable means, and so Jesus explains it. We have Jesus' explanation. And so we read in Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 36, or 37 actually, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And you know that when Jesus says, let those who have ears hear, He is saying, this is really important. It's important that you understand this. You know, listen up. So let's make sure we've got this. The field is the world. The wheat is the people of the kingdom, the people who belong to God and who live for Him. They are the people who hear the Word of God and who do it, and they are living that life to which He's called them, and they are sowing seeds of faith and hope and love in the world. The weeds are the people of the evil one, those who resist the Word of God and who are subject to the dominion of the devil and all his works. They are the folks that will surrender to, submit, sustain, and feed the presence of evil in the world. The weeds are all those forces in the world that would seek to destroy God's good creation. They are the forces that are out there that would dehumanize us, that would destroy human flourishing. They seek to eradicate faith and hope and love. Well, uh, you know, we know all about the weeds, right? We know about the weeds. They seem to infest the very ground upon which we walk. War, terrorism, the despair and hopelessness caused by human injustice, brutality, violence, selfishness, meanness, incivility, racism, social polarization, and demonization, evil abounds in our world, and temptations to do evil are everywhere. So what is our response to all of this? We see all this. It's, it's on the ground we walk, as I say. What is our response? Well, it's the heart cry of the generations. God, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something? You're supposed to be a God of love. You're supposed to care. Why don't you get rid of evil once and for all, for earth's sake? Get at it already. 
God, why don't you do something? And I've asked that a lot. I mean, I ask it all the time, right? Every time there's another act of senseless terrorism. Why do you allow that? Smite those evildoers, would you? Children being removed from the rubble of what was once Aleppo? I mean, really? God has His own reasons why He allows evil to coexist with the good in this world. There is really no direct explanation for us. There's a lot, a lot of things about how the world works that you and I just don't understand. Perhaps God is waiting to withhold His final judgment on evil so that more people might come to the truth, that they might repent and be saved. I mean, God wants everybody to be saved. So perhaps He's giving them, as I say, time so that people might have a chance to hear the Word of God, take it to heart. So maybe God's keeping the door open for all kinds of sinners, hypocrites and, and uh, mockers and revilers and the indifferent. Jesus died for all these folks. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He's out to save a world. But one thing is for sure. The weeds will always inhabit the ground upon which we walk in this life. That is, until Christ comes again, until Judgment Day. Which is to say that you and I cannot expect ideal growing conditions as we seek to live out this life and grow up into Christ. The wheat must somehow live among uh, and flourish with the weeds, the weeds of this world. Christians are never promised a rose garden without weeds. Life will always be a struggle for us. Life is all about conflict between good and evil, light and darkness. We cannot escape the principalities and the powers of this world that seek to undermine God's kingdom and destroy it. Ever since the fall of humankind from paradise, thorns and noxious weeds have infested the ground, and the battle goes on daily for us. But now, don't we wish it were otherwise? Don't you wish you could be free of the battle? I guess if you were free of the battle, you'd be dead. But we wish, we long for a life that's free of conflict. You know, we want that life. Uh, you know, that, that perfect utopia where, where peace and love abounds, all is cool, where everybody gets along. You know, we spend a lot of our time and energy trying to secure for ourselves and for our children a place that is free of all evil influences, a place where we can grow and flourish as human beings. That's all we want. But there is no such place. There's no place where you can go and isolate yourself from the ills of this world. So like the builders who built their homes on the rock, we've got to be ready for the rain and for the wind. You can till the ground and sow really good seed, but the weeds will inevitably come. 
going to happen at the Smith household this spring? By golly, we are inspired when the sun comes out, it gets warmer. We are out there. We're working the soil. Man, we just think of all those fresh vegetables. So we till the ground and everything just looks beautiful, pristine. And then the weeds begin to pop up. And there are more weeds. And there are more weeds. And we are in the battle throughout the spring and summer and fall till the freeze. Evil is a fact of life, right? We've got to deal with weeds. It's not weed-free. Evil is a fact of life. Given that reality, I believe the Lord is saying to us in this parable, you won't succeed in trying to pull out all the weeds. Be patient as your heavenly Father is patient. God is at work in the world. You may not know it or remember it, but God is at work in the world. Trust Him, but know that evil will get its due. You just wait and see. So, although this parable seems really dark, oh, we got all these weeds, we've got to live among the weeds, there's a strong note of hope here. It's at the end of the parable, actually. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So you see, there's hope for the world. Praise God. Hallelujah. God's going to win in the end. But in the meantime, you and I must be patient as God works out His plan. You know, the kingdom of God's kind of like farming. It's all going to take time. Now, of course, we have trouble being patient, especially in the face of evil. In Jesus' parable, the landowner's workers wanted to go immediately out of the field and start pulling up weeds. They wanted to eradicate evil, the evil, those evil weeds. They wanted to launch an all-out campaign to eradicate the weeds in order to save the wheat. But the owner said, now, hold on, guys. Wait. You see, like those workers, it's tempting for us as God's people to want to take matters into our own hands and launch holy crusades, trying to pull out the weeds to eradicate evil and to bring in God's kingdom. You know, God's not going to bring His kingdom, then by golly, we're going to do it. But these overly zealous efforts can easily backfire for the simple reason is that we are not God. We forget that it is not ultimately our job to rid the world of evil. It is something that only God can ultimately do. This is God's affair. He's saying, don't think that you can eradicate evil in the world by your own activity and your own personal energy. This is not some human resistance you're trying to break. But you're up against the great adversary. It's not mere flesh and blood you're up against. 
but you are fighting against the secret ruler of this world and the dark powers and the principalities arrayed behind him. By all means, resist evil and overcome evil with good. But watch out, trying to conquer evil in your own power according to your own human wisdom will defeat you every time. I will bring in my kingdom, not you. Tell you, we really get into trouble. We think, okay, you know, God's not doing anything, so by golly, we're going to do something. So off we go. And so we march for this or for that, or we give ourselves to some cause or this and that, thinking that we're going to eradicate all evil and that we'll bring in utopia. It's God who brings in the kingdom, not us. Not only that, it's dangerous for God's people to launch holy crusades against evil, for the very evil that we fight is in us. I mean, good and evil is a struggle right here. And how very zealous we can be in trying to take the specks uh, or, uh, out of other people's eyes while ignoring the log that's in our own. So what do we do when we go on these uh, crusades thinking that we're superior and that we know what's right and those, all those other people are wrong? We become just like that judgmental Pharisee we talked about last week. We do. We have a tendency to, to, uh, to believe that we are superior people. We are good people. And then, therefore, we have an ability to discern what's good and what's bad. Who's good? Who's bad? What we need to eradicate, what we need to put down, get rid of, forgetting that we share those others' very faults and weaknesses and sins. Why do we assume that we can correctly read other people's hearts? We can't always read our own. In fact, in our humanness, we have a very difficult time distinguishing the wheat from the weeds, the good from the bad. Now, the weed that infested uh, wheat fields in those days, in those ancient days, actually it's still the scourge of wheat farmers today, it's a particular kind of a plant or weed called lolium tumulentum, uh, popularly known as darnel. In English, or the Italians, they call it zizania. And I tell you, once it gets in your wheat field, <laughs> it's a battle. It's a poisonous weed, actually, that looks just like wheat in the blade. So literally, you couldn't tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds until the plants developed their heads, and then you could tell. From a farmer's perspective, you couldn't tell the good plant from the bad, and even if you could tell the weed from the wheat, the plants were so intertwined, you couldn't help but upfront the good along with the bad. So even if we should go after evil directly and seek to root out all the causes of sin and mayhem in the world today, we couldn't necessarily distinguish between goodness and evil, and we can end up doing harm to the innocent in the process. We can make matters worse. I don't know this is a digression, but I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of the French Revolution, how they, you know, the French people were going to root out all evil. And so they underwent that revolution, you know, to get rid of the, 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 the clergy and the church that was causing such a problem. And you know what? The reign of terror was worse than, <laughs> it got worse and worse and worse as they were trying to root out evil in their society. 
Why is that? Because the sin is rampant inside. They thought, the French people thought that they could just bring in utopia. Well, how did that work for them? Just cut off heads. So we're not in a position to judge. We can't read people's hearts. We don't know who belongs to God's kingdom and who doesn't. We don't know who the real Christians are and who the counterfeit ones are. Only God knows, and so we have to leave the judgment to God. But it's so easy for us to think of ourselves as good people and therefore write other people off as being bad or evil. And so what do we do? We demonize those that we don't agree with politically or religiously or who share our values. We label them. We stereotype them. We dismiss them. We hurl epithets at them. We indulge in we-they thinking, which only contributes to the growing polarization in our society, which we are so much aware. I mean, who are we to judge? Only God knows the wheat from the weeds. So our parable today counsels patience. And when we cry out for God to do something about evil, let's remember that our God is surely at work in the world that God has not left the world. God cares. His fix is in for this broken world. The decisive battle has already been won. God and Jesus Christ has decisively defeated the evil one at the cross. As Paul writes in his letters to the Colossians, God has disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross so that we can all have hope because God wins in the end, God is working out His plan. It may not be the way we would do it, but God knows. We have to be patient as God works out His purposes according to His own wise plan and His own timetable. Now, having said all this, that doesn't mean that being patient means that we should just be totally passive and let evil have its way. I'm not saying that. You and I are called to resist evil and to overcome evil with good, as God gives us the strength. But we must always do so, if we decide to engage the battle, we must always do so from a posture of humility, for as I have said, the, 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 uh, the evil that we battle is within you and me, it's within us. So, you know, easy, partner. <laughs> Maybe the very sins that you're most bothered about are actually the ones you're dealing with right here. Maybe you've got to start the battle right here. How do you get rid of weeds out of a field? Are you going to pull them out one by one? You know how you get rid of weeds out of a field? How you get crabgrass out of a lawn? You get rid of weeds in a field by crowding them, out, crowding them out with healthy plants, right? In the end, the most important thing is for each of us to make sure that we ourselves are a healthy, growing, vibrant blade of wheat in God's field, and that we are growing in Him, sowing seeds of faith and hope and love, allowing His goodness to overcome the evil that's in the world. So really, we need to look to our own relationship with the Lord. 
I mean, are we fully alive and growing in Him? Are we spiritually alive? Is our faith authentic? Are we living the life to which He's called us? And will the harvester find us among the wheat? So may it be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're glad that You are sovereign, that You are in control, and that ultimately You win, and You've given us a share in Your victory already. Lord, fill us with hope, but also fill us with patience as we deal with evil in the world. Help us to look to ourselves and to, in Your strength, to fight the evil within each of us. Let it begin with us, Lord. Christ's name, amen.